So our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. It'll be up on the screen there for you. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And then he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I really, one of the great joys of my life is watching my wife be the mother to my children. Right? And I think that as husbands, that that our wives have such a unique perspective when they bring children into this world, whether they are, they are natural children or whether they are adopted children, then they are just, they are children in everything but blood, right? And, and I think it's such a powerful thing to watch the love of God work through a mother. The love of God work through a mother. And today, we're talking about one of the, the times that Jesus raises himself up off the cross, we're working through this, the six weeks before Lent. We're working through each time that Jesus says something from the cross. And Jesus today is, is talking to two people. The disciple that he loved the most and to his mom. Jesus was fully God. Fully man. Which means his mother experienced the decimating pain of childbirth. In the first century, which it probably hasn't gotten much better. I mean, modern medicine's helped a little bit, but it probably still hurts. I don't know. I haven't gone through that. So fully God, fully man, Jesus' mom, Mary, she witnesses and she experiences the pain of bringing him into this world. And she picks him up and she changes his diaper and she puts him to sleep and she rocks him at night Because, of course, Joseph is like it probably was at my house. Uh, He sleeps through that stuff, right? Joseph is probably sleeping while Mary is up and awake and worrying about her son. She picks her son up. She cares for him. She bandages his wounds. She dusts him off. He's the one. She's the one that he cries for. My son, when he gets hurt, does not come running to me. He comes running to his mother, right? And, And then... She experiences the thing that no parent hopes that they ever have to experience. The heart-wrenching experience of losing your son, losing your child. Right? Can you imagine the struggle that's gone on in this family's life throughout the course of, of Jesus' ministry? He begins to take up with this disaster. Well, first of all, he starts at age 12. Right? And he's, he gets lost in the temple, right? So Mary and Joseph, they leave him in the temple, and Jesus is preaching in the temple. But then, as he begins his public ministry, he gets baptized and he comes back. He begins to take up with this disastrous group of people that he, we later call his disciples. The 12 people that would share his life with him. He takes up with them. Not fitting the mold of the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah was here to, to save Israel, to save Israel. The Jewish people, the Hebrews, God's chosen people. And Jesus didn't look like what the Messiah was supposed to look like. He didn't act like how the Messiah was supposed to act. 
the people, the Messiah was supposed to purge Israel of sin, not invite them to dinner and hang out with them. She'd probably watched in a little bit of horror as her son gets himself into trouble with the religious elite when he starts healing on the Sabbath, when he starts elevating the role of women in ministry, when he starts caring about children. I can't imagine what happened when Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my mother, my brother, my sister, or my brother. This is the third Sunday of Lent in our series, Words from the Cross. And, and we're looking at the words that Jesus speaks to, to Mary and to John. John is the lone disciple at the cross. John is the lone disciple at the cross. Think about that. There are three people that care about Jesus standing at the foot of the place where he's going to die. His mother a woman that he had banished seven demons from, and one disciple. Remember earlier in Scripture, we had the disciples were really ready to go. Right? They're like cutting people's ears off in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus has to stop them. But then when the rubber meets the road, two women, his mom and Mary Magdalene, three women, and Mary's sister-in-law, Three Marys and a John show up at the cross. Women are elevated in the ministry of Jesus. They financially support him. Women are among the first missionaries that Jesus sends out. The woman at the well, a woman anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. And these are the people that have the courage to stand at the foot of the cross for six hours. Not Peter, not Thomas. Mary, 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 and John. Women are the first to experience the resurrection. Women are the first to proclaim the resurrection to others. And throughout his ministry, Jesus courageously stands by women and embraces them as helpers and leaders. And in turn, they stood next to Jesus even in his dying moments. As a parent, I have no doubt that while she was watching her son die, Mary was thinking, if it was only me, if I could only take your place. And there is Mary standing, maybe here, down here. Remember, we talked about that. Jesus isn't hanging very far from Mary. He's in excruciating pain. He's gasping for breath. His lungs are filling with fluid. He's dying a horrific death. And here's his mother watching, wishing, probably, praying, probably, that she could take her son's pain onto her. John's gospel includes Mary and reminds us that the most important important person, the most important woman who ever lived, the woman whom God loved and highly favored as much as he could send his only son to be born from her womb, who was highly favored, walked through the unbearable, unbelievable hell of losing her child, steadfastly walked through it. But not only 
is Mary honoring God and Jesus, but in that moment, Jesus is honoring his mother. He demonstrates that in the translations a little bit different by saying, Behold your son, talking to Mary and John. And then he looks at John and he says, Behold your mother. That's a, that's a very traditional Jewish thing. At this point, we have to sort of remember that tradition teaches us kind of that, that Joseph has passed away. Jesus' earthly father is no longer in the picture. We think it's probably around 12, which is when he's last mentioned. But Mary's a widow. And in the Jewish culture, you relied on your offspring. If you were a widow, you relied on your offspring to kind of support you. And here, her son is being put to death. And still, in the last moments of his life, he has to take care of his mother. So he raises himself up. He looks at John and he says, Behold your son. Meaning that John is going to take Mary into his household and support her and care for her and take on the duties that Jesus himself would not be able to do. Throughout the New Testament, we are taught that religion happens when we care for children and widows. Jesus is is living this out as the life is ebbing out of him. So honoring and and caring for our parents, for those that are elderly, is something that we are called to do throughout our lives, and especially when our parents need help. We honor and care for our parents, our mothers, our grandparents, our fathers, the elderly, not just because the Bible tells us to, but because they have cared for us. Melissa and I, um, we, Melissa worked in an assisted living facility when we were at Moorhead together as undergraduates. And um, Melissa was raised in the faith. And those of you guys that know a little bit about my story is at the age of 13, I declared war on God. I had no use for God. God really wasn't a factor. I screamed at him. I really didn't like him. I didn't want to be in the church. I thought it was full of a bunch of hypocritical people that uh, didn't know anything about Jesus. So I walked away. But then, then we went to college and I met Melissa. And we, this is the abbreviated version because there's a lot more history in there, right? And I also didn't, I owe her money, Don, because I didn't tell her I was using this. Um, (laughs) Sorry, honey. But Melissa was working at a place called Cave Run Manor. And there was this really sweet old lady. Her name was Martha. And Martha died last week. She was very old. I mean, she was ancient when I first met her. I don't know how old she was. In her 80s, 90s. Um, And Martha was a devout Methodist. And uh, I would go visit. And Melissa would work late nights overnights, all that stuff. And I'd go visit, and I'd go play cards with Martha, and Martha really adopted me kind of into her family. She had no family. Um, she was very lonely, I think, uh, and Mo- she adopted Melissa, and because I came along with Melissa, like, she adopted me and loved on me and talked to me about Jesus and talked to me about Scripture. In fact, in Martha's living room is the place where I proposed to Melissa, So only one person got to see that other than Melissa. It was Martha. 
So I think about like how we continue to care and live, and she'd call, and we are not, I am not a great example of how to care for her, because she would call, and we would talk every now and again, and we'd always go back, and we'd say, we need to go visit, we need to go visit, we need to go visit, and we never, ever did. But we're called to do that stuff. We're called to love the people in our lives. And I think, about, I think about where I am now, and Martha was so proud of us. And she was most proud, I think, and I have a card from her somewhere in, in one of my Bibles. She was most proud of the fact that I said yes to Jesus. And she was most proud of the fact that not only did I say yes to Jesus, but I stepped into a role to serve Jesus. And she would always say that, and she would always be praying for us and tell us that she was praying for us. She modeled this godly character. She modeled this idea of living a life full of unconditional love. Because she knew me when I was really far away from God. And she still loved me. And she still loved my wife. And some of us have stories like that where, where there are people in our lives that, that are older than us, that pour into us. Some of us have stories even from our own life. It might have been your mother or your grandmother or your aunt or your uncle. Everyone has that story of the person that, that somehow demonstrates what unconditional love is to them without ever having to say anything about Jesus. Though sometimes it does include that. I think about uh, my kids, and I'm so grateful for my in-laws. I love Bobby and Jane. I love them because they still maintain the bedtime rule, I think. At least they don't tell me that they don't, like my mother does. Like She's just like, oh, they went to bed at midnight. I'm like, oh, great, that's fun. But Jane follows our rules, and, and she's shown our kids what unconditional love is because it doesn't matter what kind of mess. I walked in the other day, and, and uh, Micah and Madison were making snow with, like, shaving cream and some other random thing. Yeah? Yeah? They, exactly what happened. That's exactly what it looked like. I walked in, and it looked like the scene out of Scarface. <laughs> right? And my mother-in-law was cleaning all of that stuff up, and she was so happy I was mortified. I was like, what? Jane, how are you going to get this up? She's like, well, I don't know. I was like, why did you give him shaving cream? Because it was fun, right? So like unconditional love, grandmas and grandpas and things like that. And Jesus is modeling that experience back to his mother. Because I'm 100% certain that Jesus was fully man too, Fully God and fully man. And that meant that he probably had a little bit of a wild side between the ages of 12 and 30 when he comes back on there. Right? So he was probably a boy. Even though he lived a perfectly sinless life, he probably found himself in situations that his mother had to love him unconditionally. Right? You ever say that to your kids? I love you. I just don't necessarily like you right now. Right? His mother loved him unconditionally, even loving him up until the point where he was hanging on the cross and Jesus responds in kind. And the way that, that John is charged with, with caring for Mary is the model 
for us as a church in how we are, we are called to care for each other. Right? Our, the scripture that we read, our baptismal liturgy, when we get to do that and we get to read the liturgy of, of dying to self and being raised in Christ, and then there's a responsibility of us as a community, right? There's a responsibility for us. We ask you questions too. And will you support this person and grow them in the faith? Because we recognize that not everybody has that person. The local church is the savior of the world. We believe that because not everybody has that person. Not everybody has a mom that got up with them and took them to church or a grandma that told them about Jesus or an aunt or an uncle that loved them unconditionally because the reality is the world is incredibly broken. I didn't have that. I, didn't know, I knew about Jesus, but I certainly didn't like him until I was well into my 20s. The local church... Is what develops that and molds that and creates that because all of us, regardless of whether we are young in the faith, are called to be Paul to someone and to be Timothy from someone. You guys know that story of Paul and Timothy? Paul pours into Timothy and then Timothy goes out and does the work of Paul. So somebody that might be my Paul would be somebody like Don. Who I missed you, Don. Last I've missed you for a long time. I feel like I haven't seen you forever. But Don is my Paul. He's a little older than me, a lot older than me, right? <laughs> I don't have any money, so I can't pay him. Uh, Don's my Paul. He pours into me. He teaches me about things. I can ask him about things. And in turn, I am his Timothy. So if I've got a really hard question, I might go to Don and say, Hey, Don, can you tell me about this? Like, I don't know how to navigate this. And he tells me his answer. And then in turn, I am called to be somebody else's Paul, which means that I'm called to pour into someone else. So who are you pouring into? Who is pouring into you as the local church? And then a communion, as through our baptism, we're initiated into Christ's church, and we make our grand entrance into God's family. I love when we get a chance to baptize people. Amen? Not only, not only do I love it because I think the liturgy is beautiful and it brings me to tears every time that I do it, but I love it because there is inevitably a huge showing of family. A huge amount of family that we get to fellowship with and be around. And as we come to the table we recognize that we're going to get a chance to eat together as a family. We're going to experience life together as a family. Behold your son. Behold your mother. You know, there are people within a mile of this campus. There are people that if you walk that way, a block, they don't know Jesus. And they're sitting there like we talked about last week, they got their hands on the mirror, on the sink in front of them, and they're staring bleary-eyed in the mirror, and they're saying to themselves, I wish someone would come and help me. I wish someone would come and help me. We have the message that changes lives. We do. We have a message that changes lives. You know, as I 
read this, this passage, I, I dealt with a really, really challenging family this week. It is not uncommon in my job for people to call me really bad names. Some of you can sympathize with that or empathize with that. It is not uncommon for four-letter words to fly out of the mouths of parents because we're trying to help their children. And as I read the scripture on Monday, and then I read it on Tuesday, and on Wednesday when I was sending this kid home because he had done something really not smart, and this woman was cursing at me. I mean, really cursing. Like, I had the phone on the table, and I could hear her. Behold, this is your mother. Looking across the table at the boy who had no remorse for what he said, Behold, this is your son. What happens when we start looking at other people and we hear that voice in our head? Look to the person next to you. Look at your neighbor. Like Really look at them. Try and not look at somebody that like, generally you like. Maybe that was the room. Look at your neighbor. Look around the room. Hopefully you all like each other. Maybe that was the wrong thing to say. Look at people you don't know. What happens if you go to lunch today and you look at the server and you hear the still small voice of God say, Behold, this is your mother. Or you look at the guy who cut you off. Behold, this is your son. What changes? What changes? The whole world changes. The whole encounter changes. And instead of being angry and pent up and upset, we become the people that Jesus has called us to be. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we are your children. Recognizing that, that we are flawed, broken, hurting individuals. We ask that you remember us and that you speak to us so that we may be comforted knowing that you see us. Behold, here are your sons and daughters. And we ask that as we move through our week and move through our lives, that you would continue to whisper through your Holy Spirit into our ears, Behold, this is your mother. Behold, this is your father. So that we may constantly be remembered and reminded that even in his dying moments Jesus cared enough about the people around him to utter words of peace to extend grace and love and mercy and we ask that you break us this morning break our hearts for the people around us that you need our hearts broken for make us soft that we may be remade and reformed and reshaped 
into an image that is a pleasing offering unto you. We ask all of this in your most precious and holy name. And all of God's people said, amen.